All right, we're live. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Uh, appropriately confused after last week, I'm sure. And I hope that this week we actually start to kind of, we can start kind of seeing some of these, um, these things. At least we can talk about what it's not, and that might help us to have a little bit better understanding at least what it might be. So I'll just like really briefly um, remind us what we did last week. So we talked about how God, Yahweh, which is God's proper name, all three of the persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, belong to the name Yahweh. All three have equal right to the name Yahweh, so all are innocent. They are fully God and belong to that name. We saw that in Matthew's baptismal formula in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then further, we said that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have some relations to one another. The Father begets the Son. We'll talk more about what beget means today. The Son sends the Spirit and the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And so there's some sort of relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit that makes them distinct individuals within a unique, united, one Godhead. So that's what we kind of talked about last week. This we see in Scripture. It is revealed through God's economic work, right, which is God's work externally towards creation. But God's economic work does, is not does not constitute his imminent life. Um, so that this is something that we see in Scripture. We're, this is how we're going to talk about it. But that doesn't mean that, um, not even to say that that's not all that it um, is. Um, but we're going to be talking about this in human terms when it's talking about a God who's eternal and imminent and so much more than what we can even talk about within creation. That's where we were. And now we're going to kind of see all of the ways that people have tried to describe this Father, Son, Holy Spirit um, relationship, that, that all the ways that they're wrong. So if we know what's wrong, we might be able to have a better understanding of what might be correct. So um, before we do that, though, I'm, we're going to kind of, people have tried to use analogies to describe this relationship. And so I'm going to show a quick video of some funny analogies, and then we'll kind of talk about why they all don't work before we talk, actually talk about different um, heresies and such. So I, want to see, I hope that the volume is up. So the fun thing with the serpent is, how does a serpent talk? This, well, is, this is Hillsdale College. We don't need to worry about it. Okay. Here we go. Tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Pastor, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning. And we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like, 
how you can find water in three different forms, liquid, and ice, and vapor. That's mortalism, Patrick! What? Mortalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star, and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion <laughs> cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. <laughs> okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Moralism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an animal. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. <laughs> um, <laughs> now we can appropriately say that... Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's just hilarious. Just, I, I've tried to understand the Trinity in all these different human ways. Like, oh, it, that sounds like father, son, and husband, right? That that seems like a pretty good one. I mean, that's those are the words that God uses in terms of defining himself as father, son, and Holy Spirit. But then you think about, well, you can't be a father to yourself because it's father, you'd be father and son, and husband, you can't be all those things in relation to yourself, right? Whereas in the Godhead, there's father and son that are in relation to one another. They're somehow distinct persons, yet they're both fully God. And same thing with Holy Spirit, right? Or I think like the three-leaf clover one is always used, right? There's one part that's like each part of the clover is, you know, one person of God that's only saying that a third of you know, the clover is the father, a third is the son, a third is the spirit. That would be, they're 
they're not all, they're not fully the clover, they're just part of the clover, right? Or the egg, it would be the same thing, the yolk, the egg white, the shell, uh, three parts of a tree, roots, trunk, branches. Water is a little bit different because you think of, um, water can be in three different forms, steam, uh, um, actual liquid, and then ice. Yeah, exactly. And those don't, that doesn't work because one single water molecule can't be all three of those things at the same time. It's only one of those things, right? And so there's, that doesn't quite work. Um, we already talked about the roles of, um, you know, a man, even if you could say like farmer, mayor, and elder, he has three different roles. When we talk about the Trinity as having roles, they're, they have distinct roles, but he's not all those things at the same time. And he's not a farmer to himself as well as a mayor to himself and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the sun with the star itself, and then from the star comes the light and the heat. We think of like from the father proceeds the sun and the spirit. You think that might work. Well, the light can exist. Like it, That's saying that you have the just the original star. That's like the most important thing. And then the light is just, it just emanates from it, and the heat comes from it, but it's not actually... Uh, they're distinctly um, like they're it's not the same equality as the star right the star is the big thing then those other things just come from it right so they're not the same equality as the star so that would be will be something called subordinationism which we'll talk about but you kind of see that we can try to define it in our human terms but it they're it's close it's not like they're that far off but it still doesn't quite reach the level of trying to explain how these relations all work and how they're all distinct persons and yet they are one being which is kind of interesting so we're going to kind of go into all of those different heresies now and kind of flesh them out a little bit more so um, all of this um, all these errors you can find in Grudem systematic uh, theology so that's where I've you know, kind of pulled all this stuff from. Um, this stuff, it really, a few of them are um, heresies that aren't really held by a whole lot of people. They're just, it's just usually like people trying to explain the Trinity and realizing that it falls short and that kind of falls into some of these categories. And there's a couple that were held by prominent people, um, you know, in, early in the, in the Christian world um, or who proclaimed to be Christians but uh, had a wrong view of the Trinity. Um, which then the church had to respond and actually come up with a proper statement, which ends up being the Nicene Creed, which we'll get to uh, by the end. So um, all the errors of the Trinitarian doctrine fall under one of these three categories. God is three persons, or sorry, denying one of these three things. God is three persons, each person is fully God, and there is only one God. So we need all three of those things to kind of hit on what we're talking about in this relationship of Father, Son, Spirit. There are three distinct persons. They relate to one, each other in some way, but each person is fully God and there is one God. So we're going to um, look at all of these. So let's start with tritheism, which um, confesses that because there are three persons who are fully God, they must be three separate gods. What's the appeal for that? Why would we, why would someone maybe come to that conclusion? What do you guys think? You can understand it with human logic? Yes. 
Yes. That would make sense to us, right? It's like, well, you say that there are three different persons, so why don't you say that there are three different gods? Right? What's the problem with there being three? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. What? Why else might there be an issue with three? They wouldn't be like unified in thought. Like they would have wills that competed each other. Tritheism could say though that they're three different persons that are still united in will. So, but you're on the right track. Three different intellects or personalities. Yeah, that absolutely. And if you think about it, for in terms of its relation to us, which one are we? Which one's the ultimate god that we should worship? Do all three? Do we worship all three equally? Do we worship one more than the other? How do we relate to three gods? It's a lot harder to kind of nail down than relating to one god. So even in our relationship with God, you know, if there if it's multiple gods, which who gets our ultimate allegiance? Because ultimately, we will put our allegiance towards one thing, not three things equally. We're human beings, right? Does that make sense? So, um, tritheism obviously denies that there is one God. But uh, the reason for that is, obviously, Scripture says, and we talked about this last time, attribute of God is he is one, so he must be one. But also, that poses a real issue for us, if it's tritheism, because we can't, we don't know who to relate to uh, within which God to, to fully put our trust in. Does that make sense? So are each one of these things you're going through something that at some point in church history has been presented as this is how we understand the Trinity? Yeah, these are these are the most common um, heresies to, um, to the Trinity. Some of them, like tritheism, you, that was pretty, so this is one that, would be a little bit more obvious because scripture is very clear. There is one God. Not a whole lot of actual um, theologians within the early church have believed this. However, it's very easy actually for us to think of, like when we're thinking about relating to God as there being three different gods that we're kind of like, we're talking to the Holy Spirit sometimes, we're talking to Jesus sometimes, we're talking to God the Father sometimes. It's easy for us to start letting those distinctions then become like, worshiping different things that that's all this we're all we're, we're talking to the same god all the time right and so this is more of a like we should be aware of this because we can kind of slip into the pattern of thinking it of god in this way when he in fact is not um, more so than theologians actually believing that this is um how to describe the trinity but there is some you can see on a human level why there's an appeal to say oh well let's, let's just say it's just three gods and although Mormonism doesn't necessarily um, say exactly this, they do kind of have this belief of multiple gods in in their um, kind of doctrine as opposed. So this tritheism would kind of fall, would probably be one of the closest ways to describe what they might believe um, about the Trinity as opposed to um, what we believe about the Trinity. That makes sense. Any other questions about tritheism? Good there? Sweet. Partialism. This is another one that um, is 
um, not necessarily held by, was not held by many. Um, this view believes that God is only fully God when all three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit, have come together and that each individual person makes up one-third of God. Why, is, why would that be appealing? Why would that be an appealing way for us to try to describe the Trinity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, when we think of what adds up to one, a third plus a third plus a third, right? So we see that that's how we would get to one, would be splitting it up into equal parts to get to one. Whereas with the Trinity, we know that the Father is 100% God, the Son is 100% God, and the Holy Spirit is 100% God. And yet there's one God. So we would see that if, if we were thinking about it in our terms, we see one plus one plus one equals three, which would take us back to tritheism. So partialism would be kind of, well, if it's only one, then let's break it down into thirds so that it still adds up to one. And that's kind of taking, again, our human understanding of the world and applying it to God and saying, it, well, if he's one, he must be, it must be then just Jesus is a third, the Father is a third, and the Holy Spirit is a third. Does that make sense? Would this um, belief sort of contradict the omnipresence of God? Explain. Because God being omnipresent means he's everywhere at once. But this says that they're only one when they're all together. But if God's everywhere, then they'd always be together. Well, I guess you could say then that well, as long as Jesus is there, like Jesus can be present in some places, the Holy Spirit can be present in some places. So technically, but f- God fully being there would not be the case unless all three are there at the exact same time, right? That's what partialism would say. So yes, that would be um, with a certain distinction onto that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, this, this partialism, did you guys feel good? any other questions? About that, I think uh, one other problem that partialism poses for us is if Jesus is only one third God, and He's paying for our sins, does is He like? Did, would that be sufficient? Yeah, like are, are they fully paid for? Are they a third paid for? Right, like that's that it can also pose another uh, problem for us in our um, you know salvation is if Jesus is only a third God, like, does he actually save us fully? And that's, that's, that would be, um, so partialism kind of, not only does it, is it clear in scripture that that's not the case, we know that it's fully Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all fully God, but also it would have some you know, problems for us in, in our eternity. Does that make sense? All right. Now I put in some fill in the blanks because the next two are lots of fun. These are the most, co- so modalism and then Arianism um, are the two most common uh, heresies that the early church needed to respond to um, when it came to trying to understand what the Trinity is. So we'll start with modalism. 
which um, is also considered uh, Sibelianism. Uh, Sibelius was a third century teacher in Rome um, who was one of the first to kind of um, advocate for this sort of understanding of the Trinity. Modalism says the belief that God exists as one person who can reveal himself in different modes, Father in the Old Testament, Son in the Gospels, Holy Spirit after Pentecost. So, um, what's the appeal to that? Do you guys, so what they're saying is Old Testament God is the Father. Then he shifts into the Gospels with Jesus. And then once Jesus ascends and he sends the Spirit, he changes into the Spirit. So that all of God was the Father and the Son and the Spirit didn't exist before that point. Or God, God was in the shape of Father and then he was in the shape of Son and then he was in the shape of Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I would even, I think it's, it's just like he's shape-shifting, right? He's just, he's like he was, he was the father and now he's the son to kind of relate to his creation in a different way. And then he is the spirit. Um, and so he's, um, he's just kind of like changing his mode. Like what, and that, that's obviously, modes. he's just kind of choosing to, just like water would change from a gas to uh, a liquid to a solid. It'd be that same kind of idea. Would they believe that as he's changing modes, that he would hold the same values as he did before? He would, yes, he would maintain the same same attributes of God. Yes. So, um, but he's he's not Father, Son, and Spirit all at the same time. Yeah. He's Father, and then he's Son, and then he's Spirit. I was just thinking like that'd be a really big problem. He'd like shape into somebody who didn't care about his children or didn't care about judgment. judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be even scarier. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Jesus prays to the Father. Jesus talks to the Father on the cross. And if they can't both be existing at the same time, because he's migrating from. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, he's going back and forth. He's like, uh, <laughs> Father, and then Jesus, Father, Jesus, right? And he's just going back and forth. <laughs> Right. Yeah. He's, yeah. Or he's just talking to himself. That. So what? What that kind of shows, and I think um, this kind of skipping down. Um, if you see modalism denies the second point, there is it denies the interpersonal relationships seen in scripture. Um, it denies. It, it makes all those moments where you see Father, Son, and Spirit in the same, like at the same time, like when Jesus is baptized, you see. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased and the spirit descending upon him. Those just become illusions. Like that's not actually, it's not actually three different persons interacting with one another. It, it, it would just be some sort of like, how, how can we make sense of those passages where all of them exist together? Or, if, two. or even two of them. If he has to, like if he can only be one of them, God can only be either the Father or the Son or the Spirit at any given point. So that's definitely that's that poses a problem. What what would what is the appeal to modalism? Well, why would that be something that um, like why do you guys think someone might want to believe this? 
Well, if God's attributes don't change, what do you mean by his judgments? Like, I the, guess just like, just like him smiting people. So what's interesting is, so that goes into a different, um, into like a different belief that the Old Testament God was not the true God. But this is actually a form of Gnosticism, where Gnostics believe that um, the Old Testament God was just a faint image of what the act of what actual the actual God is. They would give you this image of a sun, and the sun emanates light, and so they would say that there some picture of light, not actual, not the actual sun, but the, some like part of the light was the Old Testament God. They called it the Demiurge. And that was the Old Testament God because he's mean and he punishes and he sends his wrath. But then the New Testament God, Jesus, he's the real God because he comes and saves instead and takes the punishment on himself. So that's actually a, a different, it's not necessarily a Christian belief is that the Father and the Son are separate, like completely different gods entirely. Um, that would be... Um, something that would fall under Gnosticism. There's a lot there that I'm, I'm giving you a very brief summary, but that is um, like, I think, and I think like if we look at scripture, I think people at first glance seeing what's happening in the Old Testament and not understanding what God is doing might be a little bit appalled that God is sending down fire and you know, all that stuff on the Sodom and Gomorrah, like, why is he doing that, right? Like, there's, so we would need to do, that's a whole separate conversation that we can talk about at a different point. But. So what modalism really aims to emphasize is God's oneness. It's trying to really maintain this understanding of, like, God is one. So... Instead of being three separate persons, he's one God who just changes forms. Is that, do you guys see why that might appeal in terms of trying to like explain how God is one and yet he is like, we see these three different persons, but what it's just saying is, well, it's the same God who's just changing what he looks like in relation to us. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So modal, yeah, modalism has the view that it, it's not like God. I mean, I guess technically, like it could be like God going back and forth if he really wanted to. I'm sure he probably could yeah. within modalism, but that would be insane with like Jesus's baptism. Like, how could he be descending on himself while Jesus is there? Like, how could the Spirit be descending on Jesus and the Father be speaking all, all at the exact same time? Um, so we talked about modalism denying the interpersonal relationships of God. What else do, does it deny? Why else would it be like, what else can we say about it in terms of like, how, why would it be wrong or what, why would it be considered heresy? Or, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? That also is saying that, like, and we know the Word is Jesus. Jesus and the Father were together. Right? It wasn't that they were just. It wasn't just that. Like, there was just the Father and then just the Son. Right? Like, they were 
So what we see is modalism also denies that the three persons are distinct individuals. And really, like modalism looks at when Jesus says, for example, the Father and I are one. And they, they see that's like, okay, well, how can they be one if they're son and father? And again, that's, we're, they're trying to explain this relationship, but we see that, like, it's specifically in that passage, which is, um, I think, John 14, 9, um, which I've referenced there. Um, it's one in, uh, it could mean one in either essence, which we'll, we're going to talk about what I mean by essence here, here in a minute, or um, one in terms of their will, but not necessarily one in terms of, um, like, they can, they're only one person and then the other. So, lastly, um, modalism denies the independence of God from creation. So, meaning that Jesus wasn't Jesus without, like, Jesus wouldn't necessarily exist without creation in that, like, the Father kind of existed before, and it was the Old Testament God, and then Jesus came, and now we see Jesus, and then we see the Holy Spirit. So we don't really see these different, like, forms of God aside from within creation itself. And so those Father, Son, and Spirit don't exist eternally together in relationship. It's just, like, there's just this God, and then he's dependent upon creation to show Jesus and to show the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? What was the second one? The... Yeah, um, that is uh, the interpersonal relationships seen in Scripture. So it denies those, um, like the, um, denies like the, bap like the baptism of Jesus would be an illusion. Um, the United Pentecostal Church is an example of a present-day Protestant denomination that would hold to modalism in their doctrine of the Trinity. So does that make them a cult? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if cult would be the right word. Um, within their doctrine of the Trinity, I would, we would consider them to be heretics or false teachers. Maybe that would be a better way of saying it. Um, but it is interesting that, like, they're within even, I guess, modern day, especially Protestant Christianity, uh, or even people who claim themselves to be Christians will have will adopt some of these beliefs. And the next one is the the one that's the biggest. So, any questions on modalism? Do we feel like we understand why it's wrong? And this is obviously modalism kind of is the, when we talk about the analogies, like the water analogy or the, the human analogy of like, I'm a father and a son and a husband, like why those things doesn't, it doesn't quite capture the fullness of what we see in scripture. So, all right. Uh, now this is my favorite because um, this is, it, Arius, I, I, I love Arius in terms of trying to understand him. He's going to be wrong. Very wrong, but he is—he's uh, actually quite funny uh, um, when it comes to like trying to understand the Trinity. So, uh, Arius was a fourth-century uh, scholar who um, looked at Scripture and saw things like only begotten and firstborn, 
in relation to describing Jesus and said, well, those words have to mean that he was at some point created. Like begotten means to bring forth, right? Keep helped us. Uh, he looked that up last week and then I made sure that he was right. Um, he was right. Um, if it's if begotten means to bring forth, we talk about that in very human terms, like a son is begotten from their father and their mother, right? And that's a, it's a human kind of this creation thing. Um, and then firstborn, I mean, that's also, like, you think firstborn son, like you guys, you know, all you parents have a firstborn child, right? Like that, it's a very creation, like some, it's vocabulary that we would use to talk about someone being created, right? Um but not only did, so Arius, so there's some different passages there um, that I listed at in point two of the Arian controversy. Um, so John is a big place um, where you find um, this language, but um, especially like only begotten. Uh, it depends on the translation that you use. Um, like, for example, the ESV doesn't actually use um, only begotten son. Uh, for example, John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that would be what the ESV says. It's the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, that says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And so there's already uh, some translations that have kind of taken out this word begotten. And to be honest with you, that's, some, that's out of my scope of understanding of exactly why that's the case. But begotten is still in... Our translations with um, Hebrews 1.5, which was quoting Psalm 2.7. This is something that, uh, if you remember last week, we talked about where the Trinity is in Scripture. That was one of the... I'm actually, I'll read the passage because I think that's helpful to understand um, or to see the reference. So Hebrews 1.5 um, says... For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the word begotten is even in there in um, the ESV. And then uh, firstborn is um, used uh, in describing Jesus in Colossians 1.15 where he's, he's the firstborn of all creation. Okay, so Arius is seeing these words. He's like, well, it must mean that he was created. And he is famous for the phrase, he was, or there was a time when he was not, um, is kind of the big phrase for Arius. Um, now, not only did he see this in scripture, but he also had another problem. And the other problem was, uh, or I, sorry, sorry, that first point, by the way, is Arius taught that the Son of God was at one point created by God the Father. Um, so he had this problem with only begotten and firstborn. He's like, well, it must mean that he was created. But also, he had this issue with God becoming man. For example, he had a really hard time understanding why God would become man and thinking of God going to the bathroom. <laughs> he didn't like the idea of God needing to go to the bathroom. Which, like, if you think of a holy God... Like, going to the bathroom doesn't feel like a very holy thing to do. <laughs> right? I, I, I understand why he would at least feel that way. I don't know if you at least can see, like, that. it seems a little, like, 
a holy, perfect, almighty God, is he really going to the bathroom right now? Does he really need to go to the bathroom? But we see that it's, scripture is very clear that Jesus was fully man. Right? No theologian has ever had issue with seeing Jesus' humanity. Like it's clear that Jesus was fully man. But, so, so the, the issue is, is Jesus fully God? And Arius would say no, because he had a hard time believing that God, in his fullness, would have to go to the bathroom. On top of this fact that he's this created, like he's seeing this created language in scripture. So, yes, so what he sees Jesus as is similar to God, but not the same. And this comes, uh, this kind of brings um, this language of essence and nature um, to the forefront. So, in um, the early church, there was a disagreement between homo... Uzius, I hope I spelled, and Homeo Uzius. Homo means the same. This is a um, this would be like Latin or like Latin terminology for describing God. Homo means same. Homeo means similar. And then Uzius means nature or essence. So, oh no, oops, knocked my coffee down. Um, so, Arius was totally good with saying that Jesus was similar in nature, homeo usius, to God the Father. You notice there's only one letter that separates them. People think some Christians are crazy for disagreeing over something that only has one letter that, that you change. Whereas the church came to understand that Jesus is the same essence or the same nature as God the Father, homoousius, or homoousius, not homeo, homoousius. Arius saw Jesus as, he could, he could be created before the world, but he had to at some point be created by God the Father for the purposes of coming to the earth to live a human life, to die on the cross, and then to be exalted with God the Father in eternity. So he was totally good with saying that Jesus is similar, but that he is subordinate to God the Father, and that God the Father at some point made him for the purposes of accomplishing, you know, dying on the cross and then ascending. Does that make sense? So he's similar but not the same. This is what we this is what we see in we see in scripture that Jesus is fully God because we talked about that he is you know he has that same right to the name Yahweh as the Father does. So there's the issue is that Arius sees Jesus as similar but not the same. What problems does that pose?
exactly? Is he enough to take our sins? Because he denies, he's denying that Jesus is fully God. He's denying his deity, his full deity, right? He could be partially God, or he could be a lesser God, but he is not co-equal with God the Father, and not fully God. So, the problem is that he, he can't, how can he actually save us? Like, is he, has he fully taken on God's wrath? Can he take it on fully if he's not fully God? That's, that's the big question. So, and the answer, obviously, is no. He can't. Like, Jesus is not, if he's not fully God, he cannot fully take on the punishment for which we deserved, and thus our sins are not fully paid for at the cross. Does that make sense? What would you guys say to the other issue that Arius uh, raises about, you know, why, how could God be a man? Because a man's in one place at a time. What do you mean by that? And God is everywhere. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to kind of imagine that Jesus as man is just, it can only be in one place at a time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it shows his beautiful humility that he was willing to go into a human body. But. Isn't it even more amazing that God would take on flesh? Mm-hmm. Like that is, it, I think, an even greater God than what Arius's view of God is, right? And that's the we think of um, Philippians two, where it's you know that. Jesus, you know, was so humble that he took on flesh. And, like, that is a more amazing God than the God who, like, can't go to the bathroom. He can't take on flesh because, you know, he's just above that, right? That wouldn't be a God. That, that, that isn't probably, like, that isn't as amazing of a God as the God who would come down and take on human flesh for the sake of dying for us. Does that make sense? Okay. Now we can relate to him because he's suffered like we've suffered and he's been through what we've been through. So when we pray, we have an advocate that understands mm-hmm. been there, done that kind of a thing. Yes, absolutely. That's Versus just some God up there in the sky that can't relate to, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It then, you know, if Jesus was just this lesser God, we're still our allegiance we would still be praising God the Father, but we wouldn't know that God the Father really understands us. Or that whereas we know Jesus fully under he can fully empathize and say this is right Hebrews where um, it talks about like he He's this great high priest who can sympathize with us, right, in our weakness, but also gives us his righteousness. He, he, he fully understands what it means to be human, and he overcame all of that. And by him sending his spirit, he can, we can also overcome that because of the spirit through what Jesus did by the will of the Father, right?
So we wouldn't be able to relate to this God, and this God wouldn't be able to relate to us in the same way if it was a lesser God that came and died for us. Because we wouldn't actually be worshiping Jesus. We would be worshiping God the Father. Right? Because that would be the ultimate God, right? Like Jesus is a lesser form of that. So our allegiance would be towards God the Father, and that would be that we know that that God can't, wouldn't be able to relate to us in the same way. That's a great point. Does that make sense? So those are the issues um, that come up with Arianism. And um, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they're an example of uh, like a modern day, I don't know if maybe we can call them a cult. They would be probably considered a cult that um, be, that they would be modern day Arianists or Arianismists. Arians. Arians. I have it in there. It's Arians. <laughs> um, but I think Arius is someone we can, at least I can empathize. Like under, I understand where he's coming from because he's, but he's, it's a little bit flawed and he's still bringing in his human understanding of these things. Um, and if we could understand God in this way, like would God really be all that great? Probably like no, right? Like the fact that it's like, like God did take on flesh just makes him all that much greater. So that's Arianism. Any questions? There's a lot there. Um, Athanasius was the main guy, and I'll kind of we're going to talk. All this like was Arius was the reason why the church really made a creed for what the Trinity is, and it's actually I. It's later in the um, packet. Well, we're going to look at it a little in a little bit more detail um, a little bit later on. But um, you'll see that. Um, actually, I'll just let's just read the. You go go to the Nicene Creed um, original version. So this is the first their first draft. Um, or not their first. They drafted this multiple times, but they this is what they came to. Um, this is their first fully concluded um, creed. And it says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, homo usian, um, with the Father, and by whom all things were both in heaven and on earth, for who, uh, for who, for who for us men and for our salvation, for our salvation, our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven, and then hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead and in the Holy Ghost. And then they put this little phrase at the end. But those who say there was a time when he was not and. He was not before he was made, and he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance or essence, or the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable. They are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Covering their bases, that's good. Yes, they are covering their bases. What does it mean when it says, come to judge the quick? Um, alive. Yeah, the alive. Okay. Those who are still. So is that word homo, homo mm-hmm. 
used anywhere in scripture to describe, or is this just a word they came up, they were trying to decide like which one of those words? So homoousian or homoousius is the Latin word for, like that, that means same essence. That was what they used to describe the Trinity. It is not, it's not in scripture. Um, and scripture is, um, what's interesting actually, scripture doesn't, like, even if we think about it, often gives analogies or describes God's characteristics, like God is a shepherd or whatever it might be, but it doesn't really ever give analogies for the Trinity itself or really try to explain it so much as we just see that it's there. And so this was a, this is an attempt, homoousius or homoousian is an attempt to explain that they are the same essence. So they are one God, but they are three different persons within or distinct individuals all with the same essence or nature or substance. So, good question. So, we'll talk about the other two um, that I listed there, the Nicene Creed, in a little bit. Um, we'll address those. Uh, there's something interesting that you'll see with those. So, um, talked about Arianism. How much time do we have left? About five minutes. Um, we'll quickly hit on these last two, because these last two are... Um, kind of similar to Arianism, so um, there. Uh, but there's just a couple of distinctions, so I'll talk about those briefly. Um, unlike Arianism, subordinationism is completely okay with acknowledging Jesus's divinity. So um, they are cool with even saying that Jesus was eternal, in the same way that God the Father is eternal. Whereas with Arius, Jesus isn't eternal because there is a point where he was made, but um, they teach that he was not equal or he is not equal with the father in being or attributes so that he doesn't, uh, this is essentially that the analogy of the sun where the sun is the star and then you have the light and the heat that come from the star. The light and the heat aren't the star itself. They are byproducts of the star in the same way Jesus is kind of this like byproduct of God. Um, so he doesn't have the same, he doesn't hold all these same attributes as the father does. Um, and that, that I'm trying to think of what an attribute would be that they don't hold Jesus to have. It would be in the same way as like God the Father is the all like the the majestic being, and Jesus kind of just like is below him in power, and so he's not the same all powerful God that God the Father is. So he doesn't have that same. He doesn't have the same. He's not co-equal with him either. So he's not on the same level. He's below him. In, in being, in majesty, in glory, and so that um, does he doesn't hold all those same attributes as God the Father does. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Origin of Alexandria, he was a third century scholar. Um, he was a proponent of subordinationism, and he was before the Nicene Creed was drafted. He was actually before Arius, um, and he was attempting to protect the distinction between persons. So he was trying to um, protect, like there is, we see that there is a distinction between the Father and the Son, 
and between the Father and the Spirit, and between the Son and the Spirit. And he was trying, and by belie- him kind of coming up with subordinationism was his way of explaining how the Father and the Son are different, and how the Son and the Spirit are different. That the Father is the unoriginate one, the Son comes from the Father in some way, and so he's less, he, he's like the light that comes from the Father. He's not the star itself. And so that's how we can see the distinction as the Son and then the Spirit as being whatever the heat that comes from the Father, right? So they, they all come from the Father. So they were all there at the front, like for all of eternity, but they're somehow the Son and the Spirit are less than the Father. Does that make sense? But what problem does that pose for us? Yeah, Jesus is Jesus enough now. If he's subordinate, if he's not, if he doesn't have all the same attributes as God, does he fully pay for our sins? So again, just like Arianism, subordinationism denies Jesus is fully God. Any questions on subordinationism? It's a lot like Arianism, but it can just it just holds that like Jesus can also be eternal. He's just not as great as. God the Father. Yeah. Would you repeat what uh, he was attempting to yeah. protect, protect the distinction? Distinction. Yeah. I think it would um, be easy to fall into this though because Jesus does submit to God the Father. Yes. Yeah. So I could see how they would see that. Yes, and that's something that we see in Scripture, like in the created order of His submission, and so we're going to talk about that relationship between father and son and what that actually looks what is submitting means next time but but that is that is a great point that's that's that is why subordinationism is very appealing is because we see jesus is submitting like please god take this cup from me but not my will but thy will be done right there is some sort of submission but what does that submission of will actually mean it can't be subordinationism because that would then mean that jesus is a lesser is not fully god and thus can't fully pay for our sins, right? So we'll talk about what that then actually means next time. That's a great point. Any other questions or comments on subordination? Cool. Uh, Lastly, adoptionism. Um, This is the view that Jesus lived as an ordinary man until his baptism. So he was born as a man from Mary. And then God adopted Jesus as his son and conferred onto him supernatural powers so that descending of the Holy Spirit was, all right, I am making you a god. Just like... Uh, I wish I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think of like Marvel characters, like, you know, the origin stories of how did they become this, like, super powerful being. It's This is Jesus' origin story, is that at his baptism, he became... Uh, god gave him the powers of being God. That he wasn't until that point. Um, in this case, uh, adoptionists do not hold that Jesus existed before he was born. Therefore, they do not view that Jesus as, Jesus as eternal, denying his divinity. So do they believe in the virgin birth then? That's a great question. I actually don't know how they would then reconcile that. 
says that it was the version first. Yeah, yeah. So that's I'll, I'll look into that and I'll. Um, it but super yeah. Important. Just curious. Yeah, that is a, that's a good question though. Um, yeah, I'll have an answer. I'll, I'll look into it and see if I can come up with an answer for you. But yeah, um, problem with this is that. Jesus, again, is not fully God and thus cannot fully pay for our sins. And it's also clear that Jesus was there before, like Jesus existed before creation with like the, the example with, you know, the word was with God and the word was God, right? That, that same, um, just doesn't, it doesn't hold to that. So a lot of people, or not a lot of people hold this view either. Um, however, um, People who aren't necessarily Christians would obviously would could kind of fall into this adoptionism thinking of oh Jesus was born as a man and he was just the best of men and was exalted by God if they want if that's kind of that kind of they they don't talk about it maybe quite in those terms but that's kind of what they're getting at is this more like adoptionistic. Yeah, the best of he, he's the best of us. But, and actually, Mormonism would take some of this on as well, and that Jesus was the best of men in in living, and then God exalted him um, in some way. And it kind of it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it, par- it parallels um, Arianism in some way with Jesus, because Jesus was created, and he's he was still exalted with God, but he wasn't exactly he wasn't fully God. It, there's a lot of parallels, but this one specifically is Jesus was not God at all until his baptism when the Holy Spirit came and gave him all his powers. There's a group of folks that um, accuse God of being a child abuser mm. for sending his son to the cross. Do you know if they would come from the adoptionist group if that would lead or lend itself towards that or I don't know if it's mm-hmm. related somehow? That's I a great question. If, if he's adopted, they would go, oh yeah, he's his father. Now look at him, he's abused. Mm. So. I actually don't know the answer to that question. But I don't know. That's a maybe I I would because Jesus isn't really God's son in this case then so that would that would make sense. Hmm. It seems like maybe. that would be less like an issue of the divinity of Jesus and more like an issue with the doctrine of penal substitution. Yeah. 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 We, talk, we went through the Nicene Creed, or the original version of the Nicene Creed. Um, there was a second council. So these were um, like ecumenical councils, or essentially councils where all these prominent church leaders came together and tried to define, like, like it was kind of like the first idea of statements of faith. Like, let's, what do we believe as a, as Christians, and let's define that and like write it out. And so you'll see a second version. I italicized all the things that they added into the Council of Constantinople, there wasn't anything, they expounded on the Holy Spirit. So if you saw in the original Nicene Creed, um, it just says, and we believe in the Holy Ghost. In um, the Council of Constantinople, they talked about how, and in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, oh, I didn't actually, I italicized that part, oops. Well, anyway, (laughs) the Lord and giver of life who proceedeth from the Father and who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who, who spoke by the prophets, and um, and such. So there's some more definition on what the church believed the Spirit is. And then 
what we consider the Nicene Creed now is actually wasn't actually kind of put together until um, about 10,017 AD. And there's one phrase that's different between the Council of Constantinople and the Nicene Creed. And we're going to talk about what it means next time. I italicized it. It's down towards the bottom where it says, talking about the Holy Spirit again, and in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life who proceedeth from the Father and the Son. And that, uh, I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Um, why did they add and the Son as the Spirit proceeding from both the Father and the Son? What does that mean? And then we're going to start talking about, now we know what God isn't, we can hopefully start maybe talking a little bit about what he is. But I hope this helps you be able to say, okay, it can't be adoptionism. I can't think this because that's subordinationism. I can't think this because that's Arianism, and so on and so on. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you guys for your time, uh, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.